You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. The gospel is a great story. There's really no other story in the history of the world that rivals the gospel in its magnitude and in its just pure awesomeness. I mean, if you think about it, there's no story that has at its center God becoming man to take upon himself the sorrows and griefs and sins and transgressions of people that reject him in order to make those people right before him. I mean, that's unbelievable. The gospel is a great story that existed at a point in time in the past. With that, there's also great promises that come to believers because of the gospel. If you're in Christ, God says some great things about you and to you and for you. There are great promises that are associated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, the gospel, the grace that Jesus has won for us, is not simply a theory that we're called to theorize about. It's not simply facts that we know in our minds. The gospel is actually an invitation that's meant to be received and embraced and experienced. My concern for a lot of us is we know the gospel story, know promises of God that flow to us, but still haven't received the invitation to actually be satisfied in the gospel, that the gospel is meant to be received, embraced, and experienced. This past weekend, we celebrated our five-year, mine and Trisha's five-year anniversary. Let me tell you, Trisha has been, that's a happy person for five years. You know what I'm saying? I can never seen anything like it. Someone remain at such a high level of happy for such a long time. It's been crazy. It's been unbelievable. There's a little voice inside of me that's saying, Dan, stop talking and just move on. Just keep going. And so I started reflecting upon our, um, our relationship and how it got started. And Trisha and I, we met at Walnut Ridge Baptist Church in the summer of 2006. This was pre-Stonegate. And uh, we, did, we were youth ministry interns. This is when Rodney was the youth minister. Kevin was the, the youth worship pastor. And so we started interning together. And I'd say within two weeks of knowing Trisha... I was ready for serious long-term commitment, you know what I'm saying? Ready to take our friendship to the next level after two weeks. And so, but we had this rule, we had this rule as interns that we weren't allowed to date each other. We weren't allowed to date interns, weren't allowed to date interns. Apparently that got weird the summer before with certain things. And so, in an effort to abide by these rules, I chose to keep this on the down low and didn't, didn't date Trisha. And so, after the summer ended... Trisha and I were still around, so we started working more throughout the year as interns or whatever um, for Rodney in, in the student ministry. And so I approached Rodney one afternoon to see if we could get this removed, this rule removed, you know. And so I was hoping that not only he would bless it, like remove the rule, but also really bless, you know, Dan, this is, you got this, you know what I'm saying? So I went in that afternoon, and he, uh, here's what I, he definitely gave me permission to pursue Trisha, but he definitely didn't think I had a very good shot. I just want you to know that. 
it's a continual it's a continual joke, but it's the truth. I still think Rodney was an obstacle that I had to overcome in order to, to date Trisha. So I finally got that removed, and I, I lined up a meeting with Trisha to go to a coffee shop in Mansfield, and I was going to share with her how I felt. And Trisha had no idea. I think she had kind of an idea, but not really a, a very good idea. And I was, you know, I was the guy that's, I'm just going to be clear. I'm going to be overtly clear. I'm going to tell her my intentions, and it's going to be great. And I spent two hours kind of unpacking all of my thoughts and what I hoped for. And I just kind of put this invitation on the table, and she did not receive it. She did not receive it. In fact, the invitation sat on the table for eight months before she actually received it. Not to marry me, to date me. It's a big difference. So I think for a lot of us, there's, there's this invitation to know Christ sitting on the table. My fear is that a lot of us know the story of the gospel, know some promises of God, but in terms of you receiving this invitation, embracing this invitation, and experiencing the satisfaction that comes with this invitation. I wonder if we're there. So in Isaiah 55, Isaiah walks us through how to receive this invitation. So Isaiah 53, if you remember, is the really popular passage about the Messiah. It's Isaiah's prophecy about what the Messiah is going to do. It's the story. It is Jesus taking upon himself our, our sorrows and griefs and transgressions, and he's like a sheep being led to slaughter. He opened not his mouth, and so we get this great picture of what Jesus is going to do. And then in Isaiah 54, there's all these promises that God makes to Israel and specifically really everybody in general. And then it moves to Isaiah 55 and it's like Isaiah is trying to ask this question, how will I explain to these people how to receive this great invitation? So that's what we're going to do today. Isaiah 55 and we're going to look at, there's three parts. We're going to look at the nature of the invitation how we receive the invitation, and why we should receive this invitation. So that's what we'll do. Let's get started in Isaiah 55. The nature of the invitation. There's three parts to this first point. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. First point, first thing about the nature of the invitation you're invited. Don't miss that. You, singular, in your spot right there, are invited. This invitation is for you. See if we can pick up a key word here. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. So the invitation is to come. It's that you, singular, are invited to this invitation. It's that God is now near to you. He is not far off from you. And it's not that God is simply near in proximity. God is near in relationship. He's near in approachability. He's not distracted by other things. He is looking at you, singular, going, I am inviting you to come and receive this invitation. You, singular, get this invitation. So I took my two-year-old to play tennis last weekend. So I'm teaching them how to be athletic, right? It's my job as a dad. I have to teach them how to be athletic. And so my athleticism is starting to wane quite a bit. And so, um, but I took him to the tennis course, and we started um, doing some drills. Had him doing some drills, some hand-eye coordination. He's two, doing some drills. 
And so um, I, I got him going. By hand-eye coordination, it really means me trying to lob the ball to him so it hits his racket. That's really what we're trying to do. And then I can jump up and down and say, oh, my gosh, you just hit the ball. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And so we got, we got him going on some of that, and then I started to hit the ball. I started to, you know, work on, loosen up the swing a little bit, work on some fundamentals, started doing some serves, and started imagining my next tennis match and imagining my opponent being over there and, you know, what I'm going to do if he does this. And I started imagining, you know, my next game, and, you know, I just kind of go into this la-la land of me, you know, trying to figure out my fundamentals and get my swing back, and all of a sudden my son just starts crying, just starts erupting cry. And when you're two, you know, if you're a parent, you can recognize different cry types, can't you? You know, you can recognize the hungry cry, the tired cry, the fussy, whiny cry, you know what I'm saying? And then this was like a legitimate sad cry, though. I mean, I was like genuinely concerned. And I walked up to Owen and said, hey, buddy, what, what happened? What's going on? I'm looking for somebody. Like, did someone do something? And he looked at me and just said, daddy, play with me. Daddy, play with me. I was like, God, I made me feel like a terrible person. Jeez. See, God is not like that, though. Like, God is not distracted. He's looking at you saying, I am inviting you, singular. This invitation is for you, and I'm not just here proximity. I'm here relationally. I'm here approachable. I am here for you to come. And so the Bible des describes you as an enemy with God. Let me just give you another picture here. Describes you as an enemy before you know God. And in the Bible, ancient Israel, that term enemy would it would bring up this scene of like walls, like as, a, as in an ancient Israelite, ancient world, walls were really, really important because it, it kept the enemy out. They didn't have like nuclear wars and bombs. They just, the, the walls separated enemy from where you are. And so this sort of imagery is, is really key because God and us prior to Christ were enemies. We're apart. There's a wall, giant wall between us. And what the gospel story is, it's Jesus Christ taking down the wall that separates us and God and God coming over the wall and walking right up to you, church, not to, not to condemn you, not to kill you, not to destroy you, not to take you into captivity, but he does all of that, comes right up to you and says, I want to invite you to know me. That's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. First point is that you're invited Second point, everybody's invited. Look at this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Everybody. Everybody thirsts because everybody's wicked. Come, everybody who thirsts. Come to the waters, he who has no money. Come, buy and eat. Come and buy wine without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Isaiah gives us two really helpful pictures, two types of people in this passage. This constitutes the entirety of humanity. You're either in one of these two, uh, you're either one of these two types of people. The first type of person, you know that you're broken and empty and unsatisfied and thirsty. You know you are. This is the person that ran hard into sinful living and it just caused them to be legitimately empty. This is the person that ran hard into their careers and realized that there's empty, that, that cannot satisfy in the sort of aches and longings that you have inside of you. This is the person who had great dreams for how they thought life was going to be, and for some reason or another, for whatever reason, it just came crashing down. And now you realize that the fallen world tends to overpromise and underdeliver. You've been the recipient of that. You know that you're broken, you're thirsty, and you know it. Then there's person number two. 
This person is thirsty, but they don't realize it yet. This is the person who's laboring. It's the person who's spending the money that doesn't satisfy. And why are you laboring for that which doesn't satisfy? This is a person that hasn't figured it out just yet. They're still chasing. They're still trying to find their identity and their jobs. And they're still hoping for that promotion. And if they get the promotion, that will take away the aches and the longings of life. And if their kids just get fixed and get better, then that will take away the sort of ache in your soul, that thirst in your soul. If you can just have everybody tell you how awesome you are, all my problems would go away. And so this person is just chasing. They're chasing, they're chasing, they're chasing. And to this person, let me just make a couple of statements. You want to know what everything and every person has in common in this world, everything and every person has one thing in common. You ready for this? This is going to rock your world. Everything and every person has one thing in common, the capacity to fail you. Think about it. Job has the capacity to fail. Money, possessions, cars, boats, things, all that stuff has the capacity to go down. Kids have the capacity to fail you. Marriage, spouse, friends, everything has the capacity to fail you except for one person who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. The only thing that has a sort of concrete Jesus Christ on Christ, the solid rock. We see, some people are building their house on their sand, but they just haven't sunk yet. But there's one person who's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. So the invitation is to everybody. It's to you. It's to everybody. And then let's look at the third thing about the nature of the invitation. Notice the three beverages that are listed here. We get water, we get milk, and we get wine. That's really interesting because those things are do different things. Those are very different beverages. And so take water, for example. Water is like the core essential ingredient to you living. Without water, you would die. So if you're in the desert and you're dehydrated and you're thirsty and you're about to die, you're probably not going to call out, man, I wish I had a glass of wine. Probably not going to be your go-to beverage in that scenario. We would have a name for you. We would call you an alcoholic. We would help you get help. We try to get you help. No, you would cry out for a glass of water. That's the core ingredient to life. That is the difference between death and life is, your, is you having water in your system. And so then you get the, the milk beverage. That has a whole different sort of purpose, right? That's ongoing nutrients and strength. Like we have a three-month-old and a two-year-old in my house. That's a really, milk is a very high commodity in my house. Like occasionally I like to have a glass of milk and when I do, Trisha makes a comment about it. Like I can't have a glass of milk. And so, you know, I think I should be able to have, but it's a very hot commodity in my house, very important. Because the milk is very important for the baby. And so the babies have to grow and get sustenance and get strength and get nutrients. And that's, what, that's the function of milk. And then we get this beverage, the wine beverage. And that's, that is associated with celebration and with joy and with exhilaration. So we get these three really interesting sort of different beverages. And, and here's what they're all pointing to. We're not talking about the invitation is not to drink physical beverages. And so don't make the mistake that the disciples made in the New Testament. These all point to the person, Jesus Christ. 
The invitation, the essence of this invitation is to not go to church, not do Christian things, not embrace religion, but to know a person, Jesus Christ. Let me just read John 7 really quickly. 7 verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then earlier in John 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. The invitation is to know a person, Jesus. So there's three, really, there's three, three people in here. There's those of you who your, your soul is thirsty. It's dead or it's dying. It's thirsty. And the invitation is to know Jesus. And then there's the soul that is weak and tired. Like some of you, you're an older seasoned Christian, but you, for whatever reason, your soul is just tired. You're weak. And the invitation is to know Jesus, that you can have strength like milk, that you can have ongoing renewal and strength in your life. And some of you, you've walked in with all kinds of sadness and sorrows in your life. The invitation to to know Christ reinvigorates and gives joy and gives exhilaration. And so now that the invitation, that's the invitation. So the, the critical question, this is the most important question, is how do we receive this invitation? And for that, let's look at, let's look at three things. Start in verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and you labor for that which does not satisfy? Now, try to follow, there's, there's an unbelievably clear point in this passage. See if you can pick it out. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. First point to receiving this invitation. How do you receive the invitation? It's a critical point. Don't miss this. Listen diligently to the words of God. Did you catch that? Listen diligently. Hear. Incline your ear to me. The nation of Israel right now is in bondage to Babylon. And Isaiah has been going on a tear through the entire book of Isaiah and he's been talking to the Israelites. This is what God wants you to know, Israel. Stop committing idolatry. So Israel were taken captive by Babylonians, and then the Babylonians and Israel got a little too close, and Israel started borrowing their idols and started worshiping their idols and started committing some very wicked things. And so God said, here's my agenda. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about your idolatry. I want to talk about what's going on. I want to talk about how we can do to fix this. And it would be very easy for Israel to try to push those hard conversations away and try to sort of preoccupy themselves and busy themselves up because they don't want to listen diligently to God's word. They don't want to listen diligently. They don't want to embrace what God's agenda is for them. They just kind of want to do their own thing. That's a very natural, normal problem that we have. And so I grew up, um, I grew up homeschooled. Thank you for not laughing. And for all my other homeschool friends, I appreciate, we all appreciate that. And so I grew up homeschooled. And um, I, I then, in my junior high and high school years, I went to, to a private school. I went to um, a private school and then graduated from 
high school and went to Dallas Baptist University. And so did that. Yep, yep, cool. And then in, in Dallas Baptist University world, that's when I got synced up with Walnut Ridge and started doing youth ministry. And then after Walnut Ridge, we, we um, were here at Stonegate. I was here on staff at Stonegate for five years. And so my entire background in a very real way has been very Christian. Lots of Christian things happening there. And the past eight months, I've spent in a, um, a very fast-paced, growing technology company in Dallas. And I am around a very diverse and very non-Christian crowd, and I'm shocked by something. I am amazed at how aggressive people pursue what I've just called reality-numbing endeavors so they don't have to address the difficult things in life. That's a problem for both non-Christians and Christians. It's a problem for me. I'm sure it's a problem for you. But look at the first step in receiving this invitation, guys. Listen diligently to me. Listen diligently to God's word. You know what our biggest problem, I mean, the the challenge is not that we listen diligently. You listen diligently to something. You probably listen diligently to your own voice and your own interpretation of your reality. And you have your own perspective on your life and it probably is draining you. That's a very, very difficult, I mean, our perspective on our life, our interpretation of our reality can go south in a hurry. But when we come to the Lord, and this is not an arbitrary read your Bible sort of deal, although it certainly includes read your Bible. But let me tell you, there's a difference in reading this Bible and checking it off your Bible reading plan and going on through the day and your heart actually approaching God saying, God, I need your perspective to come into my life. So it functions as kind of a grounding in our life. It ground, keeps us grounded. It keeps us from going crazy directions in our head. It keeps us, our perspective from going way negative and way south. And so, God, take your words and your perspective. I want to listen diligently to you. That's the first step in receiving the invitation. That's the dead opposite of how you naturally operate and think. It's you saying to God, I don't want to avoid my reality. I don't want to pursue reality numbing endeavors. I want to think about your perspective in light of my reality. That's a lot different. It's a lot different. So step number one is listen diligently. Step number two is call out to God. Verse six Seek out the Lord, seek the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he is near. This is worth stating, but not really part of my point. Just thought I'd say it. There's a time urgency to this invitation. Call upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord while he may be found. The invitation is now. Don't put off the invitation until this afternoon, until tomorrow, until the next day, until next year, until circumstances change. The invitation will not always be there. But today I can tell you that the Lord is near, that the Lord can be found. So there's a time urgency to this. And so that's just for free. That's not really part of my sermon But number two is to cry out or call out to God. Listen diligently, call out to God. You can circle that word, call upon him. That's not the word for pray in the Hebrew language. That's the word for cry out. That's the word for get his attention. Do whatever it takes to get his attention. 
This is, I mean, don't overcomplicate. This is an unbelievable reality. I mean, this is you walking into the throne room where God sits and priority number one is for the king to share with you his words, his perspective, his thoughts on your life and for you to listen. That's step number one, for you to walk into this throne room, not a crowded throne room, not back off in the corner. There's not other, it's just you and God and God says, I wanna share with you my thoughts on your life, my perspective, and then you get the opportunity to to talk back. You get the opportunity to share your heart. You get the opportunity to cry out to God. That's a very simple thing. You call out and cry out to people all the time. You call your friend on the phone. You call out to him. My two-year-old calls out to me all the time, and it involves yelling. Lots of it. That's okay. That's the point. It's not like Owen does not come to me and, you know, when he needs my attention and say, man, how am I going to approach dad? I wonder, how, I got to choose my language very carefully. That's not what he does. He just, he's, he has created a whole lot of very creative ways to get our attention, but really, it's just him yelling. It's like, that's the whole point. Like, when you think cry out, call out to God, don't think what I did at the beginning of the service and pray before the sermon and formal religious prayer. That's not what's happening here. That's not the word here. The word is you can call out to God. You can cry out to God. You can come to God with all of your struggles and trials and all of your doubts and fears. And that is part of the invitation. Part of the invitation is to cry out to God. Listen to God diligently. Cry out to God. Let's look at number three. Seek the Lord while he may be found, verse 6, and call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Okay, let's talk about this. Number three, how I receive the invitation. Listen diligently, cry out to God. Number three is forsake wicked ways. Something really great happens in the first two. God begins to share with you his perspective. You pursue God to listen diligently to God. You get before God, you start reading his word, and you get around people that can help you understand God's words and thoughts in light of your reality. We're not pushing away reality. We're not avoiding reality. And then you start to talk with God and cry out to God and I need help and I'm struggling and this is hard for me. Help me understand this. And what God does is he begins to take his Holy Spirit and he starts to, he starts to create the agenda. He starts to say, I want to talk about that in your life. I want to talk about this sin in your life. I want to talk about this area of unbelief in your life. I want to talk about this marriage that's not going well. I want to talk about that. I want to do those sorts of things. And God begins to set the agenda and that's a good thing for you. Remember, this is all under the umbrella of an invitation. This is all part of the process of us receiving the invitation. And I feel like a lot of us don't listen diligently to God. We push our chips in for these reality-numbing endeavors, whatever that means for you. We avoid reality. We don't listen diligently to God. We don't cry out to God because we're afraid of what God might call us to do. But that is absolutely part of receiving the invitation. You can't have all the benefits of the invitation and receive the invitation and still be active and unrepentant in sin. And as you begin to diligently pursue God and as you begin to cry out to God, God starts to set the agenda. God start, And he does so 
because he loves you and wants you to repent and look at his compassion. We just read it. I mean, if you don't believe me, let's just read it again. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon that's the end result. That's the point. God sets the agenda says, I want to talk about this and this and this so that you can return to him and experience the compassion and the forgiveness of God. So that's how we receive the invitation. Now at this point, let me just ask you, if I were to send you an invitation in the mail to come to a party and I had those three things, listen diligently to God, call out to God and forsake wicked ways, it's a very real chance that you'd be like, what kind of invitation is that? I think it's fair to admit that this is not natural human inclination. Like this is not natural human desire. Oh, this looks like an awesome invitation. Well, Isaiah is about to help us understand that it actually is an awesome invitation. And so for that, let's turn to why you should embrace and receive this invitation in Isaiah. Let's read in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now most, I'll be honest, this passage is typically misquoted. It's quoted a lot of times in the context of circumstances that go bad. God's ways are higher than my ways, and God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I don't know why this is happening. That's not untrue. That's other parts of the Bible would communicate that. But this passage is right in line with what we just talked about. Forsaking sinful ways, forsaking wicked ways, receiving this invitation. So what's God trying to communicate to us here? I'm so glad you asked. I'll tell you. What God is trying to communicate to us is that your ways and your thoughts, apart from God, are light years away from God's ways and God's thoughts. That's what he's trying to tell us. That your ways... And your natural thoughts about your life, your human, sin-defiled, corrupt perspectives apart from God, your thoughts and actions, way of living, hopes and dreams apart from God, are light years away from God's thoughts and God's actions. And so what this is teaching us is that when we begin to embrace this invitation, when we listen diligently to God, when we cry out to God, forsaking our sinful ways, that gap begins to get closer and closer and closer, more aligned. So that your thoughts and God's thoughts, as we receive this invitation, become cl more closely aligned. So that your actions and way of doing things and God's actions and desires become more closely aligned. So the first thing that we get, the reason why we should receive this invitation is because we receive the very thoughts and actions of God. God begins to shape our mind to be like his mind. God begins to shape our actions like his actions. We're not left to our own interpretation of our perspective and our own reality. We can actually have God's perspective on our reality and those two things become closer aligned. That's good news right there. You want that. You don't want, your own, you don't want your own thoughts and actions. You don't want that. That is Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to man, and it leads to death. That's what Proverbs says. So you want this sort of invitation because we want God's thoughts and our thoughts to be more closely aligned. That's the first point, why we should receive the invitation. 
Number two, let's look at verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not enter there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. People that know me pretty well, my inner, my inner friends, my inner friend network, and my family, they, they label me as an overly optimistic type of person. I get really excited about everything very quickly, and it's not always a good thing. Like, in my current job, if a client says, hey, Dan, can y'all's company do this? I'm like, heck yeah, I can. Oh, heck yeah. And I go up to my boss and say, hey, can we do this? And he says, no. That's impossible. That's never been done before. You know, stuff. I get into stuff like that. Oh, oh man, I'm super excited. Oh, that can't happen. Oh, well, we better figure something out. And so this happens quite a bit. And so I've got, I've got an exciting announcement, though. You don't have to applaud. We don't have time. Um, but I, I am going to graduate seminary in a month from now. And so that's really exciting. And, oh, you can applaud. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's taken me a little over half a decade. It's taken me a long time to do this. And so um, I've, been, I've been hyping up a graduation party for like a year and a half now. Like I've been telling Trisha and some of my inner friends, you know, oh man, once I graduate, I am going to have this awesome celebration and I'm, it's going to be so great and everyone's going to be invited. And so I've just, hi- I've totally hyped up this big, exciting graduation. And this really leads to another tangent that I went on earlier in the service in the nine o'clock that I'm absolutely going to go on in the 11 o'clock. And that is that the older you get, we don't celebrate enough. You know, like when you when my kid turns one years old, we just give him the greatest, I mean, it's a great celebration party for turning one. Then your kid gets into kindergarten, and we, they graduate kindergarten. It's like the greatest day. In the, and I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate that. Don't mishear me here. I don't want to make anybody mad. We're going to celebrate that for, we should celebrate that. And then you get into your teenage life, and your kids finally graduate high school, and then there's this awesome graduation celebration. And then, you know, you get, out of co- or you get into college, and you graduate college, and, you know, maybe the celebration is good, but it's probably not as great as it was in high school. And kind of the older you get, the, then you do master's and Ph.D. work, and you've got a full-time job and a wife and kids and mortgage, and you're up till 4 a.m., and then you get your degree, and you don't celebrate. That's so stupid. I'm ch- I am changing that now. This ends now. It ends now. So last, in the 9 o'clock service, I invited, I just invited everybody. You're, everybody's invited to my graduation party. And if you have a master's degree or a PhD, we will honor you. We are going to honor you. And we are going to celebrate. And we are going to change the culture of celebration forevermore. Here's the reality, though. Mike, Mike, my celebration, it's, frankly, it's, it's not going to be that great. I've totally overhyped it. I mean, I have literally overhyped this thing so much. We're going to grill out. We're going to play beanbag toss. <laughs> and because all of my friends and my home group have young kids, it's going to wind up at around 8 or 8.30. <laughs> right? That's going to be my party. It's going to be my celebration. The invitation that God gives you is not an over-communication under-deliver. Did you just hear what I read? So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. 
I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about your soul being satisfied. We're talking about your soul going from thirsty to satisfied. You're talking about your soul going from weak to strengthened. We're talking about your soul going from full of sorrows to full of joy. That's, the, that's what we're talking about. That's the invitation. And then there's this how you do the invitation. It's listening diligently. It's crying out. It's forsaking sinful ways. And then Isaiah says it's not going to return empty. It is a sure thing. That is going to happen. It's not an over-promise, over-commitment, under-deliver like everything else in the universe. It is a true thing, this invitation. So that's the second point, that you actually can have a soul that goes from thirsty to quenched. You can have a soul that goes from weak to strengthened. You can have a soul that goes from full of sorrows to full of joy. It's time to receive. It's just time to receive. Listen diligently to God's word. Stop listening to your own voice. Stop listening to other people's thoughts and opinions. Stop listening to your own perspective and it go terribly south for you. But get before the Lord and listen diligently to his word. Like, how do I do that? Well, it starts with the Bible. Some of you don't know how to read the Bible. That's okay. It's it's really easy solution. Just go find somebody. Say, hey, you know how to read your Bible and you're going to help me. When can we meet this week? It's that simple. Just get before the Lord and listen diligently and then cry out and forsake sinful ways. When God starts to set the agenda, this is what I want to talk about, this is what I want to talk about, this is what I want to talk about, you start to go, okay, let's talk about that. I'm not going to pursue reality-numbing things. I want to talk about this. I want to do this. Let's do this. And if it, if it requires me confessing and forsaking of sinful ways, I'm in for that. We start receiving this invitation. And then thirdly is we get eternal, everlasting joy. Verse 12, and I'll close with this. For you shall go out into joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. It's like one day the entire creation. This is how robust and magnificent the gospel is. God's going to come back and he's going to change the world, take, take away all the sin. And the creation's going to stand and applaud it. Just going to stand and applaud it. Isn't that unbelievable? I mean, you sh we should want to be a part of that one day. See, right now you can have your soul's thirst quenched, but it's only a partial quench. There's still going to be something missing. Like right now you can have strength. If you can go from weak, spiritually weak, to spiritually strong, you can embrace this invitation and grow your soul's strength and your joy and your, your quenching satisfaction. But while we're on this earth, we're still going to have a partial satisfaction until that day where we walk with creation and have everlasting joy and never thirst again. Let's pray together. God, we just lift you up this morning for overcoming our greatest obstacle, sin, and then walking right up to us, not to kill us, condemn us, take us hostage, take us into captivity, but to invite us into a knowing of you. God, for the thirsty souls in this room, I pray that listening diligently, crying out, forsaking sinful ways is a reality that begins to happen as we receive this invitation. 
God, for the souls that are weak and just need some strength. God, that this receiving of the invitation, listening to you, getting your perspective, getting your words into their life and my life and crying out and forsaking wickedness and that that would produce inside of them great strength for today. God, for the soul that walked in with great sorrows and sadness and trials, oh, that this would be a day where true, abiding, lasting soul joy starts to trickle its way into the soul. God, we love you and praise you. Pray for our next few moments as we respond. It's in your son's name. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.